Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. It's wonderful to see all of you here today. Welcome to First Universalist Church. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your senior ministers. Welcome to this community where in the universalist spirit of love and hope we give, receive, and grow. Where together we welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each human heart. Where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next. Where we cultivate bravery, humility, and compassion in service to justice. We do all of this as a faith community committed to racial justice. Whether you've just walked through our doors for the very first time this morning, or you've been a member here for years, we are so glad to see each and every one of you. If you're interested in learning more about our church, I hope you'll join us after the service today for First Step. Just come on down to the front of the sanctuary and meet up with Ann Kay, and she'll lead you through a brief orientation and conversation and a welcome that happens just after the service. I want to remind you that next Sunday marks our return to two worship services on Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15. We'll be celebrating water communion together, a time to recognize the many waterways of our lives that converge here in our sanctuary on Sundays to form this communal river of faith. You're invited to bring a small jar of water that you've collected from a place that is meaningful to you to the service, and we'll combine that water together. Now, I am very excited this morning to be welcoming Matt Meyer to be our worship leader. You've already heard Matt a little bit. (laughs) Matt is a lifelong Unitarian Universalist with a long background as a musician and worship leader for our congregations. He lives in Boston, but travels as an itinerant worship leader, bringing the good news of Unitarian Universalism to congregations all over the country. Matt serves as the Director of Operations for Sanctuary Boston, a contemporary Unitarian Universalist worship community that you can imagine has rock and music and engaging worship. Matt is also the founding organizer of the UU Song Leaders Convergence, a gathering for all Unitarian Universalists who love community singing, a chance to share skills and best practices, and of course songs, so that we can build a more musical movement together. So Matt, we're so glad you're here with us, and we're looking forward to playing and worshiping with you today. So now I invite you to prepare your hearts and minds for this time of renewal together. Take a moment to take a deep breath, maybe turn off your cell phone, arrive fully here in this place. In the Christian tradition, the sharing of the good news of the gospel is marked with a very special word, the word alleluia. And it's my belief that when we gather in our own Unitarian Universalist tradition to worship together, we also have some good news to share with each other. Is that true? Yeah? So we're going to begin with a song of Alleluia and call each other into this place of worship this morning. Your part goes like this. Alleluia, Alleluia. Give that a try. Alleluia, Alleluia. And then Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, 
I'll try the whole thing through once on my own, and then we'll try it together. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Let's try that. Here we go. Alleluia. time like you mean it this time. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Some of us arrive here at the end of our week looking back to find that we've just been going through the motions. Now is our time to finally be present with ourselves and our intentions for who we might be. Some of us this week have received blessings deep blessings that we don't know where they came from, that maybe we didn't even earn, and we gather this morning in a spirit of deep gratitude. Some of us arrive here this morning thinking of loved ones who are not with us, perhaps struggling with illness or with loss. Let's gather for a time to breathe deeply and to find a stillness that may have eluded us all week long. Come on, come in. Enter in peace. Come on, come in. Enter in grace. Alleluia. 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 One more time. Alleluia. 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 questioned our faith, whether in God or in each other or in ourselves. We gather this morning seeking a renewal of trust and of conviction. May the hopes of finding a gentle word or a beckoning melody release us from burdens we've carried too long. May we gather in the hopes of finding new ways around old blockades. Let us gather to worship together in love and in service. Spirit of the rocks and the wind, Spirit of the earth, gentle me, Holy One, into your heart. Alleluia. Alleluia.
Well, I would love to share a story with you all this morning, a story about Brazilian music. Brazilian music is some of my favorite music in the entire world. And part of why I love it so much is that there are so many different groups of people living together in Brazil and all sharing their different ideas about music together. So that today, Brazilian music is this blend of ideas and blend of cultures and traditions, and it sounds unlike any other music in any other part of the world. So what I'd like to do is tell you all the story of just two of these groups of people. So everyone on this half, you're going to be the Portuguese from Europe. Can you say that? Perfect. And this half, you're going to be the Yoruba from Africa. You got it. Now, these two groups of people have lived together in Brazil for a very long time. But when they first came to Brazil, they listened to and they played totally different kinds of music. Now, the Portuguese from Europe, of course, really liked European music. And in Europe, people were, and still are, most interested in the part of music that's all about how the notes sound when you play them together in groups or one right after another. How the different notes sound together is called harmony. And they were so interested in this that they, in Europe, they named each note so that when you were teaching music to a student, you could tell what the purpose of every note was just by its name. So I'm going to teach you all a song that sounds a little bit like what the Portuguese might have first sung when they first came to Brazil. You ready? It goes like this. It starts out, Do, Sol, Fa, Mi. Try that. Do, Sol, Fa, Mi. And then Do, Sol, Fa, Mi, Fa, Mi, Re. Do, Sol, Fa, Mi, Fa, Mi, Re. And then it ends, Do, Sol, Fa, Mi, Fa, Mi, Re, Sol, Do. Do, sol, fa, mi, fa, mi, re, sol, do. Again, do, sol, fa, mi, fa, mi, re, sol, do. Perfect, you got it. Now that song, I wrote it to sound like the most basic structure of a lot of European music. Like a lot of European music, it starts out on the tonic one, it goes up to the dominant five, it finishes the major triad on the third, subdominant four, and then a two, five, one cadence to finish, which is kind of a standard thing. Am I right, Franco? Maybe we'll cover that in a different service, though. The Yoruba listened to very different kinds of music when they first came to Brazil. The Yoruba were from West Africa. And in West Africa, they were much more interested in the part of music that was all about when you play the notes. How are the notes grouped together or spaced out? Or how do they sound together when you play them at different times on different instruments? When you play the note is, of course, called rhythm. Try this. Da-dum, da-dum, dum-dum-dum. Perfect, you got it. But the, the West Africans were also interested not just in how music sounded in their ears or how they thought about it in their brains, but how music felt in their bodies and how music was a way to bring people together, to physically be together, to take care of each other and, and dance when they wanted to celebrate or mourn when they needed to. So we're going to add our bodies and go like this. Perfect, you've got it. So we have these two groups of people living together in Brazil, each with their own unique style of music, and that would have been fine, except, except that there was a problem. And the problem was that the Portuguese, who had all of the land and all of the money and, well, all of the power, they didn't really think that the Yoruba song was any good. 
And because they had the land and money and power, sometimes they would say, Yoruba, you can't play your music. Can you all say that to them? But the Yoruba knew how important music was, how they told stories to their children and celebrated special holidays. So they said, we're going to play our music anyway. Can you say that to them? This side was much more convincing than that side. <laughs> All the actors said on this side this morning, huh? Now, over the years, the, Yoruba, the, the Portuguese tried to get the Yoruba to stop. When they would play their instruments, well, the, the Portuguese would take their drums away from them and burn them. They would throw them in jail for making music. They yelled at them. They were mean to them. And in spite of all of those things, though, in spite of all of those things, the Yoruba just kept on playing their music anyway. And they were so persistent for so long that eventually some things began to shift. Eventually, there were some Portuguese that began to listen to the Aruba song a little more. Are there any Portuguese here that think the Aruba song is an okay song too? Oh, yeah, great. That's encouraging. <laughs> At the same time, there, there were Aruba listening to the Portuguese music. Anybody here think their song is all right too? Uh, not as many. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's how it happened. Over the years, there were a few people in each group, a few people that went against the grain, a few people that even though everyone around them didn't want them to listen to those that were different from them or learn or work with those that were different from them, a few people went against the grain, and some of these radicals happened to be musicians. And they said, well, well, maybe we can learn something from people that are different from us. Some of the Portuguese said, hey, maybe we can learn something from the Aruba. At the same time, some Yoruba said, maybe we can learn something from the Portuguese. <laughs> Less convincing, but that's okay. We'll, we'll move on. Some of these musicians got together and they said, well, what if? What if we took your instruments but played them in new ways? What if we took your harmony, our rhythm? What if we took some of your ideas and our ideas? What if we put it all together? What would that sound like? Uh, Portuguese, do you still remember your song? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It was like 300 years ago in the story, so... If you've forgotten by now, that's all right. Do, sol, fa, mi, fa, mi, re, sol, do. Here we go. Do, sol, fa, mi, fa, mi, re, sol. Keep going. Da, dum, da, dum. Dum, dum, dum. Da, dum, da, dum. Dum, dum, dum. Do, sol, fa, mi, fa, mi, re, sol, do. Do, sol, fa, mi, fa, mi, re, One more time. Do, sol, fa, mi, fa, mi, re, sol, do. That's how the Portuguese and the Aruba came together to create a new style of music called samba that was unlike anyone in the world had ever heard before. That's a little bit of what I love about Brazilian music. And it's also a little bit of what our service is about today. When we gather together in communities like this, and then when we go out and reach out beyond the borders and the barriers that divide us, Together, in widening circles of community, we can change the world around us in ways that we could never do just on our own. So thank you for helping me with this story. Once upon a time, I was invited to a costume party hosted by none other than Scott Coyer the coolest kid in my fifth grade class. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I remember fifth grade as the year that I first began to really take notice of the social hierarchy of things. The year that I first began to notice that there was a sort of pyramid of coolness with a few kids at the top and more of us closer to the bottom. And being nearer to the bottom myself, I was fascinated by trying to figure out the rules of this game. Was I at the bottom because other kids had moved on to real pants while I still wore sweatpants to school every day? <laughs> maybe, it was, maybe it was because word had somehow gotten out that I secretly wanted to grow up to be a singer like Mariah Carey. <laughs> Not cool. Although it is a dream I still cling to. <laughs> Don't tell, though. Now, as far as I could tell at the time, the most revered kids were the ones who were the very best, the most skillful at making fun of other kids, which made the whole system by these rules, the whole system, theologically speaking, was a very particular kind of hell. Looking back now, the rules seem to have been mostly correlated with gender roles and who was the best at performing their part, boy or girl, male or female. Girls with fashionable outfits were, of course, higher up on this pyramid, as were boys who were good at all kinds of boy things, like playing sports or hiding your feelings. <laughs> right? Sounds like some of you are in my fifth grade class. So back to this high-stakes costume party. I had spent weeks deciding whether to go as a clown or an army guy. I had gone back and forth a dozen times until I changed my mind at what I think was the last possible moment. We had already left the house, as I remember it, but I ran back inside, threw off the clown costume I had on, and grabbed the army guy outfit and got dressed in the car on the way to the party. So you can only imagine my surprise when I arrived and I learned that this was not, in fact, a costume party. Nope. It was, however, an army-themed party. So at the end of the night, I won the award for best dressed. Right? Thank you. It is to this day the only time anyone has even considered giving me any kind of an award like that. Now, you would think that this miracle of good fortune coming out of the blue would have left me feeling on top of the world. But I was actually just as nervous as ever because I knew that the rules of this game were still not in my favor in the long run, even if I'd been momentarily dealt a good hand for the evening. Knowing that I had escaped such massive embarrassment by the skin of my teeth, you know, the the image, the picture I have of showing up to that army-themed party in a clown costume is an image that somehow, even though it never happened, still haunts me. So much so that I'm preaching to you about it this morning. Fast forward a couple of years, and I attended a Unitarian Universalist summer camp in Illinois where these rules seemed to be turned upside down. There were certainly still some folks who were more popular than others, but they seemed to be the ones who were the warmest and the most welcoming, the people that invited newcomers into the circle to join the conversation, the ones that fostered connection instead of competition. This was a place of genuine love. 
If you've ever found a place like that in your own life, would you say out loud right now, genuine love? I remember wondering, how does a place like this even happen? How did these camp counselors find all of the kindest people in the country and bring them to the backwoods of Illinois every August? One conversation that perhaps explains a piece of it has stuck with me. I was on a long walk that first week with a new friend of mine, and I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but at some point, I basically bragged to him that somebody who we were both close with had given me a friendship bracelet instead of him. And you probably all know that in the, the social currency of hippie love camp, <laughs> friendship bracelets are like the gold standard, right? <laughs> so here I was enjoying this person's company, really, really enjoying his company, and then saying this awful thing to him about who was closer friends with who. What I thought I knew about relationship or community was some kind of boxing ring mentality, thinking that whoever throws the best punch wins. But my new friend responded to my unkindness with love, and he did it in a way that I literally did not know was possible. He smiled at me, and he made eye contact, and he said how glad he was that I was finding a home here. This was a person of creative love. If you've ever found a person like that in your life, would you say out loud right now, creative love? Whatever nonsense I learned about social hierarchy and whatever awful lessons I had internalized about how men are supposed to speak to each other, I saw for at least that moment for the nonsense that it was. I showed up believing that competition and put-downs would get me somewhere, and he showed up with a love that dismantles that status quo. He had literally loved the hell out of me. Dear ones, if we have any hope for building the kind of world that we want to live in together, the kind of world we've envisioned in our hearts and articulated in our seven principles, we need to seek out those mentors who love us enough to meet us where we're at and love us enough not to let us stay there. And then we need to go out into the world and be that person for others because nobody but nobody can make it here alone. Years ago in college, I attended a weekend-long training for street medics, folks who provide first aid to protesters at demonstrations. I learned a lot of useful things over, from that weekend that has stuck with me over the years, how to flush tear gas out of the eyes and prevent hypothermia and the such. But the thing that stuck with me the most was our first 20 minutes of the whole weekend, our opening introductions and check-in. We were asked to go around and each person share their name and where they were from and what pronouns they used, whether they wanted to be called by he or she or they or something else. Now, all of my life, people had read my gender in somewhat complicated ways. But this was the first time I'd ever been explicitly given the option of identifying as I wanted, as felt right to me. No one had ever asked before. Going on after that weekend to learn more stories of transgender people in my life and in reading, I began to recognize how, even though I continued to identify as a male, I began to see how this multitude of behaviors and thoughts and feelings and preferences that make me the unique person I am have been carved up and placed in these narrow boxes of gender, boy or girl, male or female. This invitation to share my pronoun was a gift. 
You don't have to call yourself by what the rest of the world has always called you. You're invited to show up here as you are, no costume required. There are few among us for whom the made-up story of gender has not limited our understanding of who we are or who we might be. I recently heard a story about basketball star Wilt Chamberlain, who despite being one of the greatest players of all time, was terrible at free throws. Now free throws are the only time in the game where you get to stand right in front of the basket and make a shot without anyone in your way, but Chamberlain only made an atrocious 40% of these shots. Except for one game though, one game which will probably remain the highest scoring game of all time forever, when he made 90% of his free throws. And the difference in this one game, he was shooting underhand from between his legs. Now in junior high, I learned that this was called granny style, perhaps inappropriately. But it turns out that this is actually a much better way to shoot free throws. At the end of the game though, Chamberlain decided to go back to throwing overhand and decided to go back to missing. And the only reason he gave for the switch back was that throwing underhand made him feel like a sissy. To the greatest basketball player of all time, the only thing more important to him than the game that he dedicated his life to, more important than his career, more important even than being a good teammate, was not looking like a sissy. I wish that perhaps he'd had a summer camp friend like mine, <laughs> or perhaps a progressive faith community like yours. If we could have not loved the hell out of him, at least we could have loved the bad free-throwing out of him, amen? <laughs> Friends, religion ought to be the place where we dismantle these boxes that have been placed over us and locked down around us. If you agree, would you say dismantle the boxes? Religious community should be a place of love that expresses itself in diverse ways and comes in rainbow colors. Would you say love? love? Dear ones, there are those of us who were raised as boys and we were educated into this masculinity. We who call ourselves men have sometimes chosen misguided understandings of status or power over our relationships. We've been taught, we were taught to choose image over authenticity, to choose speaking more than listening, to value objectification in place of real connection. Fellow men, if this describes some piece of your own story as it certainly does mine, will you join me in recommitting to building beloved community that sets our relationships ahead of these false idols of status and power? If so, fellow men, would you say, I do? Thank you. And so similarly, for those of us educated into the myth of whiteness, we have too often learned to value comfort above justice, to value individualism above community, and to value intellectualized empathy instead of gut-level transformation, when transformation is what this country so badly needs right now in this moment. Fellow white folks, at a time when our country continues policies of separating families, particularly of color, at the border, and continues policies of separating families, particularly of color, in detention centers around the country, and continues policies of separating families and breaking up whole communities of color through a planned, intentional system of mass incarceration. Fellow white folks, in these days, will you join me in recommitting to building beloved community and devoting ourselves to justice as a new way of life? If so, would you say I do? Thank you.
Those of us of all different kinds of identities have all different kinds of commitments to be making if we're going to build the kind of world we want to live in, the kind of world we've envisioned in our hearts and articulated in our principles, because nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. In Canada a couple years ago, a particularly awful video went viral online all over the internet and making headlines in the news. It was a video of a white conservative religious woman rapping about how transgender people should not be able to use the bathrooms for which they identify. That's right, I said rapping. This video was offensive on multiple fronts. <laughs> Don't look it up. As this video was dominating the headlines, an 11-year-old Unitarian Universalist friend of mine, Anthony James, wanted to respond. Because having grown up in a Unitarian Universalist community, it had never occurred to him that someone would use religion for the purposes of discrimination. That's sweet, huh? <laughs> Anthony wanted to respond because as someone who at the time himself identified as gender creative, his faith community had been the first place where he was totally welcomed without reservation. And so he got to work and he organized his mom and then dozens of congregations from across Canada who came together to make a new video, a video sending messages of love and support to the trans community and proclaiming the role of religion in celebrating our full humanity regardless of gender expression. Now when Anthony's mother expressed perhaps legitimate concern about him as a gender creative 11 year old putting a video of himself permanently online, speaking out on this controversial issue. She said, Anthony, some people out there will hold this against you. And 11-year-old Anthony responded, right, Mom, that's not a reason to be quiet. That is a reason to speak up. When the world is sick, can't no one be well. But we are beautiful, and we are strong. As a white guy with a middle-class background, I sometimes feel like I showed up wearing just the right costume to this American party. It means that by some accident of fate, things around me can seem more equitable than they are, or my community can appear safer than it is. I need people like Anthony, people like my summer camp friend, to mentor me and teach me the ways of beloved community. Would you say beloved community? I invite you to join me in seeking out those mentors who can show us the better way that we didn't know was possible. And we can get together and we can find those moments where we can change the rules of the game. Would you say change the rules? where we've been limited by made-up stories of race and of gender, and where we recognize those stories manifesting as systems of oppression surrounding us and also within us. Let's get together and dismantle these false binaries wherever we find them and build bridges, not walls, to justice. Would you say bridges, not walls? And beloveds, in our prayer and in our words and in our faithful action, let's go forth in love and build the world that we know is possible. Would you say love? love. Amen. Would you say love? love? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.